Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is Jonathan Gudai. Jonathan is the CEO of Adomni. They are one of the great players that is playing in what I think, Jonathan, might be the least talked about but hottest space in the whole industry, which is the evolution of outdoor. I love what you're doing in that notion of out of home in your hands. I think that says so much in such a clever way. I was thrilled that you guys had a positive experience at Advertising Week here in New York recently. Uh, we don't hear it a lot, and it's always kind of nice to hear it. I think people really get it, but it's, but, it's, but it is nice once in a while to hear it, I suppose. And uh, really excited to talk to you. So thanks so much for joining us here on Great Minds. Thank you for having me, Matt. It's great to be with you. Okay, so let's start. Uh, yesterday, I watched uh, uh, another debacle on the football field as your hometown Raiders annihilated uh, the uh, feeble Giants at Allegiant Stadium, which looks just absolutely incredible. Las Vegas is in the midst of a tremendous renaissance, and where the city has come over the decades is just remarkable. It's an incredible economic development story. It's a growth story. It's a brand story and so much more, uh, arguably the hottest market in the country. Talk about your journey to Las Vegas. Uh, you've been there quite some time now. Talk about the evolution of the city, of course, and where you are, but talk about the evolution of the company why you ended up there and give us a little bit of that story because we talked about it a, a little bit before we got on air and I thought it was pretty interesting. Sure. And before jumping into that, I mean, it, we should note for the record that we had to fire our head coach and our starting quarterback in order to get that victory last night at the, the Raiders-Giants game. So maybe that's just what it what it took. Um, so we'll, we'll see if that's going to be the turnarounds that the Raiders needed to, uh, you know, get, get Devontae Adams and the team going. Um, but yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, you know, Las Vegas, uh, AKA Cinecon Valley is definitely a place that's highly dynamic on a lot of different levels. Um, my journey here actually came from, um, California. So I, and before that South Florida, uh, but, um, I had, a, my first company was an e-commerce company. Uh, we had launched, uh, in 1999, a website that enabled, uh, any anyone to go online and purchase custom printed products with an automated process to design a product, have it shipped within one business day. And, um, and you know, we, it was called Storky, storky.com. Um, and what I loved about that business is the, was the ability to take an offline business online and transform the whole experience and reach lots of more, more customers and be able to deliver so many more orders than the old legacy ways of catalog-based manual selling. So we were doing really well in 2010 and uh, based in San Diego. And the idea of coming to Las Vegas was to open an office and also benefit from Nevada's you know, no state income tax status. So that was what brought me here um, going on 13 years ago. And you're right. I mean, when I first came here, we didn't have any professional sports. Um, it was largely a you know a town that was you know gaming entertainment only, and if you think about everything that's happened over the last five ten years, um, both from a just diversification of the businesses, but also even thinking about how tech companies are starting to be built and um, and launched from here as well, it's a pretty exciting story. Amazing. So so years ago, and I, I'm not going to get all the circumstance right. 
But give or take 25 years ago, I found myself at a dinner in the home of Peter Guber, who ran Sony Pictures very famously mm. with John Peters. Mm -hmm. It was a great mm -hmm. book, Hit and Run, about how they fleeced Sony for a billion dollars. <laughs> and uh, Peter's now one of the owners of the Warriors and, you know, has gone on to many other great, interesting things. Very interesting guy. And I ended up at a dinner in what was the small house at his estate in Bel Air. It used to belong to Mary Tyler Moore. And we had dinner with Oscar Goodman, who was then the mayor of Las Vegas. And only in your town could someone who was previously the leading attorney for the mob then become the mayor, which happens to be true. And Oscar was outlining a very grand vision for the city back then, most of which has come to fruition. Tax favoritism or a favorable tax situation, I should say, is certainly one variable, but many states have that. What is it about Nevada, you think, that has been so attractive, and Las Vegas in particular, and attracting not only business in general, sports franchises, Super Bowl, et cetera, but also businesses in our industry that are tech-fueled? I think there's a lot of things that, that Las Vegas has going for it. Um, you know, if you start from just physical space, you know, it's in a valley. So there's the ability to open up offices, build in ways that maybe some places like Manhattan, it's a lot harder to do. Um, you you also have, and we saw this with the pandemic, you have shifts in in the way the labor markets are working where, where people are leaving places like California, whether it's companies or just individuals, and looking for places that are a better quality of life to raise a family or to make money and save money. Um, and so the combination of you know really affordable housing, um, no state income tax, and, and just the ability to, you know, there's lots of jobs here in this very vibrant market, I think just generally brings people in and they say, okay, I could have a really nice life here. From a business perspective, um, for us, I mean, so we're an advertising technology company, you know, Ad Omni, Advertise Everywhere is the, is the name of the company. Um, but for us, you know, what better place to launch a platform that's all about reaching screens in the real world than Las Vegas, right? Arguably like the, the epicenter of digital signage, you know, and all the different uh, ways that it's very dynamically bringing messages and shows and events to, you know, to, to a very small kind of footprint of the strip. So yeah, we were attracted by those things when we brought our, our e-commerce company. But then when we think of um, also just the notion that every year all the conferences that are happening now where they just rolled out another, you know, another whole phase section of the convention center. Um, you've got Elon Musk's tunnels that are now connecting um, the Las Vegas Boulevard to make it easier to navigate by going underground. Um, sports that brings another dimension of, of people coming in for both a, a professional purpose, possibly doing some business and also having some fun and staying for the weekend. Um, so it really is a, a pretty amazing place. And you mentioned Oscar Goodman. His wife is actually the mayor now. So I don't know if you knew that, but Carolyn Goodman, his wife, took the baton and is is now um, you know running the city as the mayor. And I think that she's got maybe one 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 or two more years left. Um, so it is a, it's a unique spot. There's no doubt about it. Las Vegas is a very special spot. 
Yeah, just to put a ribbon on the bow or whatever that expression is of the Oscar Goodman story, Peter called me as I was on my way and said, can you do me a favor? I, I forgot something. I said, sure, what do, you, what do you need? He said, can you pick up a bottle? And it was a very pedestrian brand of gin mm. that he wanted. Okay. It, was like, it was like Gilby's or, you know, not a, it was not a high-end brand. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, of course. And I pick up this bottle of gin. I said, that's odd. You would think somebody like that would have a pretty well-stocked bar, but okay. <laughs> and, uh, and Oscar Goodman drank the entire bottle of gin. It was, <laughs> it was beyond him and was fine. Like got out and walked out and uh, oh boy. Very he famously, he famously shows up to speeches with the martini in his hand. Yeah. And, 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 and I think half the time he actually has a couple of the, you know, the showgirls uh, with like the feathers and the whole thing there with him. I mean, it, it, the, the, the city and he are really authentic to what this, this place is, you know, it's not just, you know, for the show, but there's business, there's smart people that are investing billions of dollars, um, including companies like Formula One that is yeah. racing here in a couple of weeks for the first time. Um, and so there's just, there's many different levels that wake that make this, this place very, very special. And, for us, um, as a as a tech startup, that you know, this was 2015 that we launched Adomni. Um, I, I think we've also been very proud to call this home and and have a lot of people come to oh, us as well. It, it is called show business for a reason, right? That's right. Absolutely. Yep, that's right. Fantastic stuff. So let's go back and talk a little about Storky because it was a very progressive company. I guess it's just over 20 years ago that you created it. And that was a very different time and place for the digital world. You were sort of early. If we go back and reset yeah. our clock, 2000, sure. 2002, we're still four years away from the iPhone. We're several years away from Facebook. We're several years away from Android. We're five years away from YouTube. Very different world. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I look at it that we actually grew up with digital advertising and with the kind of digital ecosystem, um, where certainly Amazon and some early, early companies were around in the mid 90s. But Google, like search, to your point, you know, that was early 2000s that it became a, a thing. And we were one of the first um, advertisers on Google AdWords. And I remember them, you know, ha asking us to help them with case studies to just kind of talk about us using the platform. Um, and so I, you know, for me, Storky was an incredible experience. You know, I, I went to Wash U for study business for undergrad. Um, and I had always planned to either be a stockbroker or a real estate person, ne never really in the greeting card or invitations business. But the fact that you were able to do so much with technology and reach so many people, that was what I fell in love with. Um, and my brother actually gra graduated from Stanford undergrad and grad, focusing more on engineering and, and business. And he ended up coming in and joining me as our head of marketing. Uh, and so the, the two of us helped drive this company where we saw every phase that you just mentioned from search to then social to then mobile um, emerge. And kind of when you think about what we're doing now and what excites me the most about Adomni and, and just the, the, the bright future ahead, it's I, I think the last frontier uh, is the real world that the to your point earlier when you, you know, started the podcast, it, it, it's appreciated by all. But the investment that's being made into it and the capabilities that marketers have today aren't haven't yet been fully materialized. And that excites me 
to be able to unlock that and continue to kind of show marketers that it becomes part of the digital you know, playbook. In- incredible story. Let's dig into sort of the evolution that we've both watched in outdoor over the years. You know, you can argue very compellingly if we look at the outdoor world, the radio world, the newspaper world, and the magazine world. Let's just pick those four. Two of the four have done very well. Two of the four have done very poorly. You know, the magazine industry today is much smaller than it was when we both started in this business, give or take 20 some odd years ago. The newspaper business, much smaller overall, certainly from an advertising vantage point. I think some of them, the Guardian globally, the New York Times here in America are doing nicely uh, making that pivot to subscription revenue, but the advertising revenue has plummeted overall in very simple terms. Radio is probably the medium that most people have preached uh, will disappear more so than any other going back to the advent of television. And everybody thought that meant the end of radio. And of course it didn't. And radio through the digital medium that you and I are uh, utilizing right now, the, the rise of the podcast genre and so many other digital fueled evolutions, radio has gotten new life and has been reinvented and is now considered to be a great business. The legacy players navigating digital and the newer players on audio that are uh, native, if you will, to the mobile phone also booming along. Outdoor has had a really interesting journey. It looked like it was going to go south. And then all of a sudden it took a turn and went north. Give us your take on the evolution of outdoor. I know great leaders like Barry, our friend at the DPAA, and so many others are a big part of that. The OAAA, you know, I think has really embraced the industry as it is today. I like Anna a lot also. But talk about that evolution and what you've seen. And then I'd love to get into sort of the origin story and talk a lot about what you're doing with uh, with the company today. There's no denying that digital has shifted the way that we consume content, the way that we spend our time, the way that we connect with friends and family. Um, and to you know to look at the real world, you know, outdoor or out of home, if, as you look at it on a legacy basis, it has become digitized. Over the last, you know, twenty years, also, especially the last five, ten, where the the prices of digital screens have dropped so much, and and we, I think that that will continue to happen over time. Is you don't put up a, a new, you know, screen or just paper, uh, you know, placement when it's relatively inexpensive to put up a television now for we we see it every every Christmas, right? You can now get a sixty-five inch TV for two hundred bucks. Um, so from a trends perspective, you know. What happened with television, where it shifted from linear television to connected television, what happened with audio, with radio, where it shifted from, you know, the broadcast to now digital audio with Spotify. Um, I think it's it's just the same thing is, is happening in the real world, you know, with out of home, where you have computers connected to these screens that have an internet connection that enable platforms like Adomni's to understand when there's available space, where is it? And then you also have technologies that have rolled out where through mobile devices, you can understand audiences that are traveling past these screens and where those devices have been in the last 30 days. So all of a sudden, 
it's not just I want to put up a splashy billboard and think about it as a real estate type of a opportunity. When you when you bring technology on the buy side for targeting audiences and when you bring measurements, then all of a sudden this becomes part of the digital ecosystem, which is the same way you're buying your television, your radio, your display ads and your social media ads, where it's an impressions is the currency and outcomes are what the marketers care most about. So I'd say that that's probably what was driving uh, the, the evolution of all those channels is when were they at the right kind of time in their life stage cycle that all of a sudden they became targeted and, and measurable. And for digital at home, that's been the last few years. That's literally been the last five, six years that it, it now is on the same par, same level as CTV and digital audio. So let's talk about uh, something we don't touch on often which is the democratization, if you will, of the technology. That's a big driver of all of this. I think a lot of that technology, I'm guessing, is coming out of China and Korea, uh, South Korea, that would be, not North Korea. Um, but um, let's talk about that and how that has fueled growth. As you said, you can now get, you know, what used to be something that would be three, four, five thousand to get a 65 or a 75 inch television. You know, you're now looking at, you know, uh, a tenth of that to buy something that's, you know, to the average eye, pretty darn good. Talk about what you've seen in terms of the evolution of the technology that is fueling the growth of digital outdoor. Yeah, I think I think CapEx was one of the bigger hindrances in the past. Um, and certainly LED technology, um, it's almost like uh, the transistors or Moore's Law, where every year it got choices fast. I, I, it almost feels like every year these TVs or these panels get twice as good in terms of resolution at, at half the price. Um, and so that, that's a trend that we've seen on the consumer side and it, and it made its way into the professional side, where if you are a Lamar or a clear channel or an out front that have tens of thousands of large format screens, it does it's not as expensive as it used to be to, to convert those. And when you convert something that was just a piece of paper, vinyl or paper, to now eight different advertisers on a digital loop, it unlocks a lot more revenue generation capabilities uh, because now you can share that across eight, 10, or with programmatic, hundreds of different advertisers and drive up your yield on that, you know, on that one specific unit. Um, and, and so I'm not a, on the hardware side of the business. So, you know, there's there's certain only so much I can share with you as far as actual costs. But we're seeing, I mean, we went, Adomni started with one digital billboard coming out of the airport in Las Vegas in 2015. And we're approaching 800,000, a million unique screens on our platform today. So, you know, from eight years ago to, to now, uh, you know, a million screens. And there's probably another million out there that are still, uh, you know, waiting to be onboarded. And um, and so, yeah, there, there's there's definitely, you know, there's definitely something to be said about these digital screens that are popping up around us. But the part that's really exciting is the fact that to your point about platforms, you can now buy space on those screens a lot of different ways. Whereas before you'd have to pick up the phone or send a fax to your local outdoor rep who will then give you pricing and availability. And then you have to do a manual contract and you have to commit to a certain amount of time. Usually it's a month, but could be more. 
Now you can go to the trade desk, you can go to Adami.com, you can go to TikTok, and all of a sudden, within minutes or the, the same day, next day, you could be on those screens just like that. That's an amazing story. So let's dig in here because those are some pretty interesting numbers that you threw out. Eight years ago, one screen just outside of McCarran Airport. That's right. Now you're sniffing a million. Yep. Talk about that journey and, and how you haven't fallen off the roller coaster along the way. <laughs> well, I know the audience can't see the side of my head, but you can. And the amount of gray hairs uh, that have cropped up over those seven, eight years is, is you know, if you were to see how I started, it's a, it's a different story. You know, at the end of the day, I think everything is driven by the buyers and by kind of trends around attention, at least in, in, in marketing. So marketers are constantly chasing the eyeballs and, and looking to reach audiences in relevant ways and meaningful ways to drive their business outcomes. Um, and if you look at just the trends of how much has shifted to quote unquote digital side of the bucket versus the traditional, the smart media owners like Lamar billboards who were pioneers to say, if we don't get on this train, we're going to get run over by this train or we're going to just limit our growth potential. We'll always have the hyper-local advertiser who wants to be above their you know, QSR with, a, with an arrow pointing down. But there's all these big advertisers and brands that we're missing out on if we don't open up the space to be available to be bought in more ways than our direct sales force. And so from 2015, when we got started, the industry was seeing it, but wasn't necessarily ready to take that technological leap. And so we spent many years educating the supply side because it all starts with the audience that you wanna reach, which is who's on the other side of these screens. Um, and you know, there was a lot of education. Like most of these companies were real estate companies who, you know, the grandfather started the billboard company, handed it off to the dad, and have been doing things a certain way for many, many years. And here we came along and said, you can still do that, but let's also use technology to open up your screens to be available to more buyers. And I promise you, we're not looking to cannibalize your existing direct sales. We're going to bring net new buyers that'll drive up your profits, drive up your revenue, and it'll be a win-win. And so that was really what the first five years of Adami's life, you know, lifespan was from 2015 to end of 2019 was convincing the supply side that it was worth them making the investment into getting their, you know, their ad serving technologies to a place where it could facilitate automated buying. Um, and, uh, and the good news is that that hard work, I think, is largely behind us. Like most of the major media owners from JC to Co, Clear Channel, Lamar, I mean, globally, there's so many, but that most of them have programmatic enablement today. What has also happened is certainly 2020, the pandemic rolled in, and then all of a sudden people are told you have to stay at home. And as an out-of-home platform, that, as you can imagine, was pretty challenging for any sort of sales, whether it's digital or not. But it created an opportunity to have more technology and more products built and deployed because sales wasn't happening at that time. So it accelerated, I think, the 
the way the programmatic entered into digital auto home in a very unnatural way. That was one trend. And then the second trend was buyers started saying, wait a minute, I don't know that I want to buy annual contracts and, you know, do this legacy. I, like I want to be able to have flexibility and I want to, I want to be able to buy my digital auto home the way I'm buying my social and my Google, which is like, I'm setting daily budgets. I'm choosing who I want to reach and I'm in complete control. Um, and so that was, so that was also a big evolutionary um, kind of shift. And the last piece that I'll, I'll, I'll mention is the importance of targeting and measurement. <clears throat> you know, the, to, to really unlock digital budgets and social media budgets, especially in the last two, three years, and especially now, you need to have accountability that is the investment that you're putting into the channel delivering on your, your business objectives. And that didn't exist six, seven years ago for digital at home. Like you're not getting any sort of feedback loop to show how much revenue, how much ROAS, how many website conversions you are getting because of a digital billboard campaign. Um, and so that, that's really what we focused on is supply and then ultimately the measurability side. Um, and I'd love to tell you about TikTok as well and how, what we're doing on the creative side if we have time today as well. So it's, yeah, it, it's exciting. Yeah, we'll come back to that. I also remember a deal reading about about three, four years ago that a relationship with Uber that I'd love to touch on also. But let's stay where we are for just another second. So you're uh, in simple terms, going back to 2015 to startup. You start, you start small as most do with a single location and a single market. Ultimately, as the legacy companies sniff the same thing that you were smelling, they all ran to the buffet. And you're suddenly, you know, at the big Venetian buffet with your single plate and one fork and one knife and one spoon. And you're up against Deco and Lamar and Clear Channel. And I remember some of the old legacy players from that business many, many years ago. I was friendly with, there was a guy, I don't know if he's still around, George Stonbley. He was a legend. He owned Spectacolor, which later sold to Clear Channel and was a dominant player in Times Square. And he was a very old school guy. You know, that, what we would call that friar's red hair that isn't really one of the colors, <laughs> you know, like, right. like Jerry Stiller, you know, with, yep. the, with the bad comb over, you know, and he was a very old, old school guy from an old school industry. Talk about what it's like to be at that buffet table going up against the big boys and girls and ultimately winning. In the beginning, I think a lot of the media owners looked at us as actually a competitor to them and were concerned about either disintermediation or race to the bottom for pricing. I mean, there were a lot of kind of fear elements, fearful elements that were mostly misguided. Um, yes, there was some of those situations that happened in the programmatic online world. But what we would always tell them is like, at the end of the day, we're not working with pixels. We're working with atoms in the real world. So there's an inherent scarcity that comes with the channel. And there's also this element of the buyers that we're going to bring to the table who are going to be you know, purchasing space on your boards as a complement are not ever going to be doing a three month choose billboard, sign a contract type of a deal. They're looking to reach audiences. They're looking to 
be hyper, you know, hyper targeted with day parting um, to bring a whole lot of different elements that are just different than the way that they were buying and selling. Um, and so it's it's natural that when an, when an industry I think is is going to take an evolutionary leap that there's going to be uncomfortability for them. But one way that we compared it is you know there's Walmart and then there's Walmart.com. So like people are still ninety percent of the time shopping in store. But there's a growing number of people and billions and billions of dollars that prefer to buy a different way. And we want to be able to help each of our media owner partners offer both, right? We're not ever trying to like take away. We're only looking to add. Um, and so, you know, you mentioned we were going against the co and clear channel. It was actually the opposite. We were, we were working with them to help close business together. That was net new and incremental incredible stuff let's let's just stay here for just another second jonathan so the the area of cross screen measurement is a huge topic on the agenda of global groups like the world federation of advertisers uh here in america the ana um i think everybody's united uh in their uh dim view of nielsen in particular it's interesting uh, how that's such a point of consistency. Talk about where your genre fits in that whole conversation, because that has been a big evolution as well. And a big asset for you is the measurability. Absolutely. So I remember when we, this was 2018, when we had just struck a partnership with um, a location data company called Place IQ. And for the first time on our platform, rather than just saying, I want to buy in these geographies, you were able to say, I want to reach females that shop at Walmart as a target audience. And the way that that was all being done is we were providing Place IQ with the, the latitude and longitude of every screen. And they were creating fences around those screens where in a consumer safe, double opt-in way, completely anonymous, they were able to understand the phone's part of the phones that drive by the board and in essence, which boards had more Walmart shoppers than others. Um, and that was a platform we ended up rolling out called Audience IQ, which is still here today. Um, and the notion that different screens will have different personalities of the kinds of audiences that they reach. And just like in digital advertising, you wanna have the most relevancy which is what Facebook and Google invented, right? Is that hyper-targeted, I wanna show the right ad to the right person. We were bringing that same notion to the physical world using mobile data as kind of an underlying uh, way of you know, providing that. Um, iOS 14 came out and everyone got so scared. Uh-oh, like now there's this, this kind of opt-in that would be required for consumers to be able to have their location be be passed along to all these uh, these different platforms. And while we did see some drop off, what ended up happening it was mostly drop off from sort of like the the bad actor type platforms. The 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 apps that provide the richest data for mobile location are things like you know food delivery systems, weather apps that need to have precise targeting. Otherwise the app just doesn't function for consumers. Um, and so we, we ended up not getting, you know, like destroyed by what Apple did there, 
but it, it just honed in on that place IQ and the others had to make sure that they were working with the best quality apps. Um, and if you fast forward to next year where, you know, cookies start, I mean, we're two months away from cookies starting to be third-party cookies being deprecated in Google, Chrome, um, and Android. So the ability to say, we actually don't even rely on cookies because this is the real world. We're going to be able to provide you with contextually relevant, you know, screens and environments and also have a mobile um, overlay that that has double opt-in high quality pings. Um, that that is something that we're uniquely positioned uh, compared to other channels that are right now are really trying to figure out what are they going to do in, in a world where there's no cookies and you know identity is just you know literally going to be gone one day. All right, so so let's ask a a, a, a different question. You referenced earlier, you went to Wash U, great school, thought you were going to be a stockbroker. I went to Emory, very similar to Wash U, right? I think today it's so competitive, I wouldn't get into either one. Are you amazed at where you ended up all these years later? I mean, look what we're talking about here. This is a very, very big leap from a Wash U kid who thought he was going to be on Wall Street. Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, there's there's a lot of moments in my career where you, you kind of just step back for a second and you're like, how in the world am I on stage here with TikTok announcing their whole new out of phone program? You know, just, just a kid from South Florida that, you know, collected baseball cards and went and worked with his family business in the printing business. Um, but, you know, that that's kind of the fun of being an entrepreneur, right? It's, it's, it, it takes you in a lot of different, down a lot of different paths. And most of the time, at least the entrepreneurs that I, I, I've seen be successful, their stories I've heard, it wasn't what they set out to do. It was just where that kind of invisible hand pushed them. Um, and yeah, I mean, literally right now, Matt, we have campaigns that um, are looking to run in Saudi Arabia, Indonesia, Poland, UK, Australia. And for a, a Las Vegas company that started with one billboard that knew nothing about the digital home ecosystem before this, it is pretty humbling to think about everything yeah, that's been built. It's a great, 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 great story. And, uh, and the entrepreneur's journey is uh, often unpredictable, to say the very least. So you referenced it, but let's talk about what you're doing with TikTok. Is there at a phone ads partner. It's an incredible story, incredible evolution for you and for the company, um, but I'd love to dig in there. Sure. So the the major trend right now is the convergence of digital and all these other channels into kind of one omni-channel approach to media. So in the old days, you have silos where like, that's a team that buys Google, that's a team that buys Facebook, they buy TV, they buy radio. But what's happening now, and I think it's going to be accelerating, is just this bringing together of an integrated approach where the same team uh, is, is thinking about how they're putting their video on your phone, on your laptop, on your TV set, on TikTok, and now into the real world, right? So, so that converges is happening. And and, and TikTok has always been a pioneer. I mean, they've been a challenger brand, certainly to Meta and Facebook and YouTube. But, um, but, I, but I think what, what TikTok has done remarkably well is kind of reinvent itself and continue to think about what is the next sort of um, 
consumer feature for the app or um, or way for for TikToks to take on new meaning. And so they, you know, I don't, I'm not a TikTok spokesperson, so I don't want to you know, make anyone think that I'm, you know, I'm speaking for their company. But what Adami, you know, when, through our discussions with them, it goes back about a year and a half. What we realized is that they saw an opportunity for TikTok to extend outside of the phone. And, and how do those amazing creator you know, pieces of content that are authentic, that are original, that are unique, that are driving so many eyeballs and so much attention on the app, how does that start to think about itself being on more screens? Um, and when you think about digital at a home, I know most people think about a, a billboard on a highway, but those are actually the minority quantity of screens that are connected and, and digital today. The majority are actually video enabled at the gym, at the airport, at the shopping malls, so there's like 37 different environments now where there's video screens, a lot of them vertical, that um, that we have as part of that you know up to a million that's that you know that are available programmatically. So TikTok basically said we want our marketers to be able to tell their story on more screens, and we want to be able to provide that through TikTok as an actual product offering. Um, and so two weeks ago at the Advertising Week conference, their head of North American sales, Tim Natabidad, uh, announced the, the brand new release of TikTok out of phone, which is their, their program to, uh, to do what I just described. Uh, what a what a great great story, and uh, uh, I love that you announced it at Advertising Week. That's uh, fantastic, and uh, and tell me how it's going so far. That's a big big leap for you guys. It is, it is, but it, it's how we think about the future, um, where it's not Lamar's sales team, it's not a Domni sales team. Instead, it's just buyers who are buying digital, also buying. IRL, what we're calling video IRL. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, so after we announced it, you know, this this wasn't just a New York, USA announcement. I mean, TikTok is in dozens and dozens of countries and this was a global, a global announcement. Um, and so we've been fielding an incredible amount of demand um, from marketers who are just really excited about the idea of having their brand on a you know, hundred foot, you know, side of, you know, a building in Times Square or having their brand show up in thousands of shopping malls during you know, the holiday season coming up. So it's okay. You're making some video shopping ads for TikTok. Why not also put those in front of shoppers who have their wallet out in, in a shopper mindset um, at the mall? Um, and so, yeah, so it's, you know, it's early days, right? The, the program was just announced, but we've already seen um, engagements from brands like Ulta, um, Mark Jacobs, Activision, Hilton, um, Victoria's Secrets. So really big brands that are leaning in. Um, and it's just fun to see what they do with it. It's like a whole new canvas for them to be able to play with. What a, what, what a great, great story. And I love the, the cleverness of out of phone. You're working with some other great big brands. We referenced something a couple of years ago at Uber, but that's a big evolution as well, working with these technology related brands as partners. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the other big trend um, is that companies that previously were not advertising companies turning on an advertising business model. And 
you know, it goes back to Amazon where you know, Jeff Bezos at one point said, I hate advertising. I'm not going to do it. We're going to make money on e-commerce and AWS. And then all of a sudden someone said, well, just test it. Let's try it. And here we are. And they're doing tens of billions of dollars. And it's their like most profitable arm of their business. Take Walmart, same thing. Take Netflix. Um, you know, there, there's just this un understanding that there's an audience and there's data that can power new business models that you're literally sitting on as a huge company. And so it's almost irresponsible to not monetize through ads or, or through a content strategy in some way. Um, and so Uber and Lyft, I mean, it's not just Uber, Lyft Media also is doing that where they just both announced over the last you know, year or two, how you go to hail a ride in an Uber or Lyft, and now you're seeing a display or video ad right above the map for where you're going, which is brilliant, right? A super targeted, hyper-relevant video ad that you know someone's eyes are on it because they want to track, are they going to the right place and how long is it going to take? Um, but they didn't stop there. They said, just like TikTok, there's more to it than this digital mobile-only opportunity. And so putting screens inside of cars or on the tops of cars is an opportunity to reach a lot more people um, and have a bundled you know, advertising offering. And so I think that's the theme that you know, all of these companies have is that there's like this bundling element where every single CEO of a major company is being tasked to drive their revenue and their earnings, whether you're public or not. And that comes from product innovation, from advertising, um, you know, from data monetization, and uh, and it's and it's certainly something that I think makes it hard for marketers too, because it also means that now you've got this incredibly fragmented advertising ecosystem, because everyone is selling ads. <laughs> um, but that's that that's that's solvable through platforms like ours, where where you can get everything in one place and don't have to worry about knowing who owns what. It's more about what are the outcomes you want to drive and and who the audiences you want to reach. Well, it's a great story. And as we start to wrap, you know, you mentioned, Jonathan, that uh, there are give or take 37 some odd verticals that you're playing in. But what I love about what you're doing at Adomni is you're playing horizontally across all of them. And you're connecting those verticals to the audience at scale, providing data, um, partnering with some of the best in class companies in our business who are leading the way forward. And it's a great story. And I'm so glad that Eileen suggested this, uh, that we uh, carry on our relationship beyond Advertising Week to get you on great minds. Um, it's a great, great story and uh, wish you every success. I, I loved uh, every part of our conversation, except the uh, giants being annihilated by the <laughs> By the time this posts, I'm afraid how many losses we'll have, but I think it'll be a lot more loss losses than wins. So uh, yeah. touch his life. Yeah, think about it like this. Um, you're gonna have a really great draft pick next year. <laughs> oh gosh, again. Here we, yeah. here we go again. Yeah. I mean, we are in the same boat with the Raiders too. And um it's a it's definitely a rebuild season. But um, but I like I really enjoyed being on this as well. And thank you for in including us with Advertising Week and bringing me on on the show here today. And next time you find yourself in Las Vegas, we'd love to uh to take you around and show you some of the, the, the new innovation that's happening all around us here as well. Fantastic. Thanks so much. All right. Take care, man.